0: Welcome to Knights at the Roundtable, a Gilbert Christian Schools podcast designed to equip our staff in the areas of teaching, theology, and training in righteousness. Hosted by middle school Bible teacher
1: and campus pastor of our Agritopia location, Ricky Bills. Welcome back to Knights at the Roundtable. We're here for part two of our canon series, our mini-series with... Our Val Vista Bible teacher and our Greenfield Bible teacher, Dave Matthews, who is from Val Vista, and Casey Hershey from Greenfield. Welcome back to podcast, guys. Good to be back. Hello, hello. All right, we're going to dive right in so we can use all of our time together today. We are looking at the canon, part two. If you haven't seen or or I guess listened to part one, I encourage you to go back and check that out. We we dig into things like the the myths and the misconceptions of how we got the canon. What is the canon? Um, and how we actually got it, and some some confidence that we can have in its uh, its authority and its validity. Today on this episode, we are looking at the self-authenticating nature of Scripture. Um, that's a big term that uh, Dave will help us uh, understand in a bit. And then I'll we're do also be- I'll do my best anyway. Do his best to. <laughs> do. And then we're also going to look at some of the debated books um, that maybe we're not considered to be a part of canon and also the Apocrypha because uh, I get a lot of questions mm-hmm. about um, how do we as Protestants that are not Catholics handle the the mm-hmm. Apocrypha? Um, and how do we handle it as teachers when students talk to us? Why? What evidence can we give of why we don't have right. that in our Bibles? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're gonna dive into. We're gonna get right into it. So Dave, could you help us understand what it means when we say that scripture is self-authenticating?
0: Mm-hmm. So the idea of something being self-authenticating is that it itself proves itself. As is maybe the simplest way that I could put it forward so that it is self-evident mm-hmm. in and of itself that it is authoritative. Okay. So for the Bible to say that itself is authoritative is kind of like. You know, you could make the argument from a non-believer's standpoint of, okay, well, you tell me that the Bible authenticates itself, but I don't believe in the Bible, so why should I believe that? And it's it's a fair, like, logistical argument from someone who's not a believer. So if you have already listened to part one, again, please go back and listen to it. I think it would be helpful for you and edifying for you. But one of the things that we mentioned about understanding and believing in the canon of Scripture is that it takes a certain amount of faith. It takes a certain amount, just like everything having to do with Christianity, that believing that God being our ultimate authority of everything, that he is the ultimate standard that we appeal to, right? So if we believe that the Bible is God's word, then it has to appeal to itself for his authentication. Okay, it can't appeal to something else because if there was the Bible itself that, was, that taught the words of God, and then we had to look to something else to authenticate it as the words of God, then mm-hmm. ultimately that thing, that we are using to authenticate it would become the ultimate authority of God's word, right? right.
1: So we are going to we are in this. We can we can just be honest. We're using an aspect of circular reasoning, true, because yeah. we can't avoid that with an ultimate truth source. Mm-hmm. Because anything else would make it no longer a circle logically, but it would make whatever
2: other thing the actual ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Wayne Gruden makes the point in his systematic theology book that any actual appeal any claim to ultimate authority ultimately has to claim to itself if it's actually saying it's the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz on what other grounds would it have authority to make
0: a statement like that? Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And we we talk about this, this is not an uncommon idea in Christianity, right? Like, wh- why is it okay that God is selfish and wants to be glorified? It's like well because he is God. If there's yeah. something in the universe that is worth being praised by somebody else, it is God himself. So, for us to say, "Hey, I'm going to create something for my glory." Or it's right that you worship me we as imperfect beings as not holding uh, ultimate authority it's not right for us to say that but for god himself to attest to his authority is proper because he is the authority the thing by which we measure everything else
1: yeah he's a creator and also you know he's perfect and we clearly are not yes so he has he's a little bit different of a standard of measuring us to him right he's a little bit better exactly right maybe a lot of it (laughs) so
0: to, to ricky's point just one moment ago if you're having this kind of conversation with someone who has not placed their faith in Christ, it is wise, and I would say it is prudent and, and, and smart to be honest and saying, okay, I, I get that we might not agree on the authority of this thing. For a Christian, the reason that they claim the self-authentication of Scripture is because I have believed wholeheartedly that God is the ultimate authority of everything in my life. That he sets the standards for what is right and wrong he as the creator of the universe has set forth what is right what is holy what is evil etc so for me to appeal to anything else beyond god himself beyond his word itself would be for me to set something above god and authority right right and that might it might take some explanation and might you might have to get someone on your kind of standing in your shoes to help understand that but yeah you can't go to something else so admittedly it is a somewhat tough position for christians but Everything about the Christian life is tough. Yeah. Like in, in that sense. And we're explaining something that takes faith to believe in.
1: Yeah. And if, and if you get lost, you can always send them the podcast and hopefully we can help. <laughs> our, our, our episode will help them understand yes. a little bit better. Yes. <laughs> what so, were you going to exactly. say, Casey?
2: Oh, yeah. No, just the truth of the matter is to believe anything is the ultimate authority over your yeah. life, you have to have an aspect of faith to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously, as Christians, we choose to put our faith in the God behind the words that we're reading. Um, but if you choose to believe that something else is the ultimate authority, you also have to make a circular argument yeah. to believe in that which requires you having faith in that circular argument yes. instead of our circular argument <laughs>
0: so uh, at the risk of making everything as clear as mud <laughs> for you guys <laughs> listening to that i just want to be sure that you guys understand that hey this might not be abundantly clear to someone who has not placed their faith in christ but it still as like if you're talking in your classes at gcs for instance like kind of the main reasons that we're releasing this this resource or talking to your kids or talking to a fellow believer in the church appealing to the authority of God is something that every believer should have already crossed that bridge of understanding God's ultimate authority in their life. So this should be a reasonable appeal and a logical appeal for the Christian. Okay, but as we look at kind of giving you guys some more practical uh, resources from the Bible, just to name a few very quickly of how the Bible speaks about himself, right? Uh, In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So it wasn't just that David was writing and said, okay, what do I think God would want me to say here? Right? He is affirming that the things he is writing, that scripture that is being communicated through the prophets, through people who are writing God's word, right, is something that is fixed in the heavens. It is authoritative. It is wisdom that was already set. It is just now being recorded for us. Okay. In that same Psalm, Psalm 119, 152, he says, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So it's not just something God's going. Ooh, what kind of good nugget of wisdom am I going to give the Jews today? Let's write, let's have the psalmist write that down. Let's have you know Solomon write that down in a proverb. Like no, it is wisdom that has that has existed in God's authority forever. It just is recorded providentially for us as a gift to us of Him revealing Himself to us. Okay, and then so when we think about an easy way to think about the self attesting, self authenticating nature of the Bible is that it is the quality of god's words that in and of themselves the truth and authority contained within them that convinces us that they are god's word right let me try to say that in a more simple way it is the nature and the spirit's guidance in our hearts that shows us and reveals to us that this is not just words that someone a man thousands of years ago read down on, wrote down on a page it is god of the universe is authentically authoritatively trying to communicate himself to us
1: yeah it's it it not only does it take faith, but it takes the illumination of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Like the spirit mm-hmm. has to be actively working. So when we look back at like, we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And just to read that again, it says, All scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God mm-hmm. may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's a, there's a contingency, a man of God. Mm-hmm. We can't expect that someone outside of this is going to continue to be able to understand that this is the self authenticating and testing right. word of God logically for them because they are not illuminated by the spirit. Now we hope that that, that they will be transformed, which is why we need to be preaching the gospel, which is why we need to be, you know, people that know the word of God really, really well and are able to, you know, go into every area of our life and be, be demonstrating through our, our words and our actions, the, the goodness of, of the gospel. But we have to also be faithfully praying Mm -hmm. that the spirit will be working so that we don't just have good logical arguments, but that we have a God who changes dead hearts of stone and makes them alive in
2: these people that we are having these discussions with. Yeah. Because without that, it's it's just an argument. Yeah, exactly. And that's the most beautiful piece about us calling it God's word is that yep. when even when we preach it, we can expect that it doesn't come back void, right. because it's not my words, it's not on my authority that I'm preaching. That I want someone to come to know Jesus. It's on His authority. Yeah. And yeah. So I can trust that when I'm sharing His words, the Holy Spirit's doing the work. Yeah. And it, it's not up to me. Yeah. And it's, one thing I want to say ahead, yeah.
1: on that before I let you go, because you just said that and I think it's so important. If you're a teacher listening to this, please like don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. Like. Don't yeah. do not be discouraged because you. lots of times we don't even get to see the fruit of our labor because you have this kid for a year and maybe they're transformed, but maybe they're not transformed until senior year. Maybe they're not transformed till college. Maybe it's when they're 40 years old and they remember a second grade teacher that they had a Bible lesson with. And, and, and it, it finally that seed clicks because we don't get to be the one that transforms the heart we we are going out there sowing seeds of of God's word and continuing to preach the gospel and pressing in because that's what we do at GCS that's what distinguishes us from others is we are going to be focused primarily on Christ in every area of our life and every area of our teaching and our education but we don't get to be the ones that make the determination of when they get it. Mm -hmm. And so we just pray and we keep going. So don't be discouraged, but instead press in knowing there are victories happening where God is faithfully working and and kids and and students and parents and families are coming to know the Lord. And we just praise God for that. And we keep doing what he's asked us to do and be
0: faithful servants. But anyways, amen. And yeah, to just to to add further fuel onto that fire, like (laughs) Jesus himself affirms this. He says that my sheep, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus implication is that th- th- those who are not following Christ, they hear his voice and it doesn't mean anything to them mm-hmm. because they don't know him as their as their shepherd. Right? They they can't understand what the gospel is. Paul uh, Paul communicated that same truth to the Corinthians when he says that the word of God is the, the word of God is foolishness or mm-hmm. folly to those who are perishing, those who don't know Christ, but it is for those who are being saved it is the power of God right? For those who know God, it means something completely different. So again, I I love what you said. And that encouragement, I think is, it's worth the, the sidebar here for the Bible teacher, for the GCS teacher of, if you're teaching the word of God faithfully and someone looks at you and just goes, I don't get it. Mm It, it, be properly introspective. It might've been you miscommunicated something that right. could have done better, but truly sometimes it is just, they do not have the help of the Holy spirit, helping them see it and value it as the authoritative word of God. Yeah.
1: And I so think. you, we could, we should expect that they're going to yeah. at times not get it yeah. because it would, it's foolishness. Like yeah. Scripture tells us that. So, yeah, well, let's, uh let's move on to those debated books Um, where we're, we're going to talk about two sections. We'll mm-hmm. talk about the yeah. kind of debated books that were not a part of the canon that were, um, for lack of better terms, close, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we we talked in part one. We didn't choose these, but these were ones that some of the early church fathers were saying, okay, maybe maybe this could be, and there were some that said, oh, okay, no, I don't think so, based off history and all sorts of other aspects to it.
0: And and one of the reasons it's so vital to like to discuss this and kind of come to a clear understanding is this is another thing that critics use as exactly. a as a critique of the Bible that oh, well, there were these all these other ones that were debated. So how do they really know they got the right ones in there? So. Yeah. We, we trust that these that we have the proper canon, but it's helpful for us to look at why were one, some of the ones that were debated upon, why were they not considered as actually authoritative?
1: Yeah, and about every 10 to 20 years, Time Magazine or someone comes out with an sure. article that talks about, oh, we found the lost gospel of Jesus or whoever, and they're yeah. like, this answers all of our questions. And it doesn't answer all of our questions, and it's not a accurate gospel or any of those things. Sells magazines. Yeah, but it does sell a magazine. It's a good clickbait. But and the second, and then after that, we're gonna move into talking about the apocrypha. Mm-hmm. So at the start, we're gonna look at Casey. Will you kind of just help us understand there? There are those books that were were debated, and in the end, decided hey these these are not in either either they were good and not but still not in, or they were bad and not in. So can you help us kind of differentiate what what that kind of looks like?
2: Yeah, so just to reiterate some things that we mentioned as a, as a base layer mm-hmm. before we even get into this, we didn't determine the canon, kind of hitting on what we talked about just in the, in the last episode. Right. It wasn't the church that determined what was Scripture and what wasn't Scripture. What is Scripture has always been Scripture. Mm -hmm. So what is Scripture, what it is in our canon has always been God's Word, and we simply recognize that. Just like if there's a
0: diamond inside of a rock. It's not like you all of a sudden made it into a diamond. The diamond was in there. We discovered that it was, in fact, valuable. Couldn't have
2: said it better myself. Yeah,
0: just because you discover the diamond doesn't mean you were the one who
2: said there was a diamond in there, and now it's a diamond. Mm -hmm. It always was a diamond. We just saw Holy cow, you are affirming
0: and communicating to the rest of the world this is yeah exactly
2: what it is. exactly and so that's what the early church was trying to do they were a lot of these writings were circulating around between these early churches and they were trying to discern which of these is God's word and which of these simply are helpful extra accounts that other people had written that may help us understand some things about Christ or about how to walk this new Christian walk that they were trying to determine or trying to figure out. Um, And so they're trying to figure out which one of these actually are God's word and which one aren't. And so in the last episode, we uh, discussed some of the commonalities that canonical books have. Um, Those three uh, criteria are apostolicity, that they were written by a prophet or an apostle, Um, orthodoxy, that they have doctrine that's consistent with the rest of Scripture that we do consider canonical, and Catholicity, meaning that it's received by the universal Church, that Mm -hmm. most of us agree this is God's Word because we all by the power of the Holy Spirit are recognizing it to be God's word. Yeah.
1: And those that don't know that's Catholicity with a lowercase C, which just means universal. Yeah. So exactly. not uppercase you, you beat me yeah. <laughs> too. Sure it's not, yeah. You guys don't. both got so eager. Like, yeah. oh, 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 we got to make sure they know.
2: <laughs> 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 thank you for, thank you for popping that's in. That's why we're Bible teachers. Right? It. Love it. So, th- so there were a handful of writings that were quoted and some were even included in early canon lists by these early uh, Christian bishops. Um, but were later not deemed to be inspired scripture. So some early Christian canon lists included uh, books like the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Gospel of Peter, First and Second Clement, uh, the Apocalypse of Peter, Acts of Paul, Acts of Andrews, um, and the Gospel according to Hebrews. Um, this is a list of some of the extra writings that were circulating around the churches that obviously did not make it into our. English Standard Version Bibles that mm-hmm. we have sitting in front of us right now. Um, and that's simply because they the early church did not recognize them to be inspired scripture like the books that are in our Bibles right now. But that doesn't mean that the early Christians did not see them as as helpful mm-hmm. for a, a person trying to live out their faith.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, personally, I've read through the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermas. I had to read those in seminary. And one of the things that's really helpful with those, um, it to view them is a lot of people will kind of have read through them, but they looked at them more of like as how we would look at a commentary. Um, so they're beneficial in understanding, you know, how do, can I think through this as a Christian in this time period? And I think there's still beneficial books to even read today, but knowing, Hey, I'm reading this as a book that is a Christian book that might help me better understand scripture or better understand God, but it is not itself scripture. But then we have those other ones. Um, we, we had the, uh, we were talking about the gospel of, of Thomas. I believe that mm-hmm. it's just, it's crazy out there and you get like some crazy wacky quotes that we can clearly go yet. Yeah, no, this is, this clearly isn't in there. You know, I don't know who put this on their canon list or why this clearly isn't aligned with scripture, but also it's just not even beneficial for a Christian to read.
2: Oh, exactly. And so when, when the gospel of Thomas was circulating around, Two of the reasons it did not make it into the canon were because it's not orthodox mm. um, and because they determined it wasn't actually written by the Apostle Thomas. Yeah. Someone <laughs> wrote it and slapped Thomas's name on it, and that's why it got popular. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, one of the quotes, uh, I got to teach a class on, on this at my own church, and one of the quotes that I brought out was it literally says, let Mary uh, go out from our midst, for women are not worthy of life. And it's like very clearly that goes against the understanding of the doctrine of, of, uh, Christianity, where we have not only a value of life and of, and of females, but just of the understanding that people are made in the image of God Mm -hmm. and they're, they are his very creation. And because of that, have a worth to, to him that supersedes some person writing and claiming the name of Thomas and saying, oh, well, I said this, so it has to be true. Right. So we can understand that there are good, uh, one books that didn't get in. And there's also bad books Mm -hmm. that didn't get in, but let's dive to that next level. And and the one that I think is, is hard to wrestle with a little more for believers and, and a lot aren't sure how to do is how do we deal with the apocrypha? Mm-hmm. Because um, if you have friends or family or ha- uh, or yourself have come out of the Roman Catholic Church and you look at a Bible that they have, it has the Apocrypha mm-hmm. in it. And then if you look at our ESV translation, or NASB or whatever your church uses that is a Protestant Bible, it doesn't have those. So Dave, would you help us understand a little bit more of what, what is this Apocrypha yeah. that we hear and, and why is it not in our Bible, but it's in the, the Roman Catholic Bible? Right.
0: So... Yeah. If you, like you said, if you were to look at a Roman Catholic Bible, uh, you would see that there are these books that where did these come from? Like you would see uh, first and second estrus or uh, the, the wisdom of Solomon or first and second Maccabees, right? And, and like, where did these come from? I remember the first time I actually, cause I grew up in the church I Remember the first time I picked up a Catholic Bible or saw someone like quoting from Maccabees. I go, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> who's, Ma- who's Maccabees? <laughs> like <what are> you- <laughs> who is this guy? Right. And they, and they add things to Esther, add things to Daniel. Okay. But essentially what the word apocrypha means, backing up a little bit, uh, is it means something that is hidden or that wasn't like initially available, right? Or they might also be described as deuterocanonical, which is Mm -hmm. like the second canon or the second acceptable scriptures, right? So uh, we could go into lots of detail about here about how these things got accepted. We could go into uh, the Council of Hippo. We could go into the Third Council of Carthage, right, that accepted these books as inspired. But essentially where these came from were primarily works that came from in that period in between when we had the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Okay, And we, we run into similar issues where people have made arguments that, well, s- some stuff in here is like helpful and, and beneficial. And why would we not include these? Isn't this just God blessing us with the, like just m- more scripture? Why should we turn that down? Right. Have you guys heard similar arguments? To yeah. That? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, if it's useful, why not use it?
1: But that that's a very... Precarious line that we are
0: dancing on that I don't think is always the most beneficial. That's like saying if you listen to the first episode of our podcast, it was it was beneficial, like and it's clearly like there's some true stuff in there. Like so, let's just write it down and add it in, man. Like you you get you get this massive catalog of what's scripture and what's not. Bible get really big, (laughs) right? Like like I'm reading a book right now by an author named Jerry Bridges. Highly recommend him to you if you don't know who he is. It's called Respectable Mm Sense. Okay, there is a lot of truth in that. It communicates true things. You could even say that he wrote it empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay. But it is not the same as saying that that book is scripture. Yeah. Right. It might, it might've been, it might be helpful for the saints. He might be empowered by God. And maybe even some of the stuff that is in these apocryphal deuterocanonical books may be helpful. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we should go with, well, it must be the same as scripture. Right. It's not the inspired word. Yeah, it's because. not authoritative yeah. over me. Exactly right. Exactly right. So the, the, the Catholic Church officially declared it to be part of Scripture, officially, officially declared it to be authoritative Scripture in the mid-1500s at a council called the Council of Trent. Mm-hmm. Not necessary for us to go into all the detail behind that right. at this point, but that is where kind of a, ma- a main split happened where they got the Catholic Bible, we got the Protestant Bible. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. One of the big things I think that, uh, the historical aspects that's important for people to know is that, um, when we look throughout history, we have things like the Vulgate, which was the Mm -hmm. Bible written in Latin. And, um, there, there's, there was debates over some of these books throughout history still. So we don't, we don't need to hide from that history. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we also have to understand is one of the confusing parts was as that Vulgate was being, being starting to be used and become popularized books were still, uh, you know, written by hand predominantly, Mm -hmm. right? They took a very long time, a lot of money. And so if you're going to bind something, you're going to put something together, you're going to make this effort. You know, what would happen was they would put some of these other books, even like the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermos, they would put those at the end. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, this is the scriptures. And then you have these extra things in there where you start to go, oh, well, this must also be, right? And so people started to attribute that, but that'd be like us going to the back of our Bible and it has, you know, the maps in the back and go, well, this is the inspired word of God. Right. It's the map from God because it's in my Bible. No, there's an understanding. Those those are in your Bible, but they are not the same as the inspired right. word of God. But mm-hmm. that started to, that line started to get crossed. And then as we get Martin Luther pushing through the Reformation, which maybe we'll talk on in a later podcast down the road, that there started to become kind of these lines that needed to be, you needed to choose a side, yeah. and Luther was choosing the side, and, and Luth, not just Luther, but Luther and all the, the reformers alongside him were choosing a side of, you know, sola scriptura. The, the the Bible is the authoritative word of God, not the tradition of the church. And the Catholic Roman Catholic Church at the time was taking a power stance against that mm-hmm. and said, well, he doesn't agree with the Apocrypha, so in some sense, we're going to agree. And there was yeah. a little bit, you know, there's a deep depth to that that we can't get into, but there was also that, you had to choose a side. Yeah. And so a line was drawn and the Protestant Bible is like, yeah, we don't have them. The Catholic Bible said, well, we're doing the opposite of you guys because there was a split that was eventually happening that we now know as the, the reformation. And so anything else you, you wanted to add or passage you think that are important to uh, that Apocrypha or our understanding
0: of the Apocrypha? Yes, absolutely. So pr- probably the most important thing that we should affirm is how Jesus himself or the lack of Jesus' affirmation of the apocryphal books, right? We could go into things like that the apocrypha affirms that isn't affirmed anywhere else in the Bible that is not authoritative, that is not orthodoxical orthodox mm-hmm. orthodox doctrine mm-hmm. in comparison to the rest of Scripture, like petitioning to saints for inner prayers, things like that. Uh, but more telling and more authoritative than any of that is when we look at Luke 24, just briefly here, we see that Jesus taught, and it says in verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so all of the canonical Old Testament that we have, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, right? And if we continue on, going down through the rest of the passage, right? In verse 44, we see a similar thing. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's no mention of these other books that surely if Jesus was going through all the things that were mentioning him, that if these were the inspired words of God, if these apocryphal or deuterocanonical books should have been included in that list, why are they not mentioned by Christ himself?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like drop the mic argument, right? Like if he doesn't affirm it, then that makes it very clear. And one of the things that we didn't Uh, really mentioned that I think is important to go back to is those Deuterocanonical books were ones that predominantly are understood to be written in between the Testaments, right? In between the Old and the New Testament. And so that's why we have Jesus. Those would have been written before he was there. And he doesn't make reference to him. He would have known about them if they were really from that time period. And so he doesn't go to them as his source. He's going to and quoting over and over again the Old Testament, what we know as, you know, our 39 books, the Old Testament. So uh, there is clearly a, a separation between our understanding of the importance and the use of the Apocrypha versus the Ca- Roman Catholic Church. but
0: And you can maybe make the argument of like, well, that was just those writers interpreting that he wrote those things. Like, okay, well then... Why isn't there agreement between like right. <laughs> if if this is truly the canon that God wanted us to understand? Why did he did he get it mixed up? Did God mess up? Did God record the wrong details? Have them record the wrong details? It just starts to break down the the authority and the evidence of why we should consider these as canonical.
1: Yeah, and so that's why we we lean or, or understand and yeah. have continuously believe that they they are not a part of our inspired scripture. So, well, we have had an amazing time as, as Bible teachers getting to nerd out over some theology and history, um, Casey, would you kind of just take, you know, everything we talked about over the last two, two episodes and just kind of summarize like an application of, okay, I, I'm a teacher. I'm a first grade teacher, you know, seventh grade teacher. I'm i I'm a high school teacher. How does this help me better understand, you know, scripture? How does this help me feel confident in the fact that this is God's word, and I, I can live out and, and use this in my classroom confidently.
2: Yeah, so I would I would just say not only can we have intellectual confidence that our, our Bible has the proper books in it and was, in fact, preserved by God, we can also know that the many misconceptions about the canon are caused by misinformed or misleading people. Um, and so this should spur us on to know God's word and its history and where it came from and obviously share this blessing with those around us. One of the things I love that Dave kept saying is he kept calling the canon a gift. And the truth is it is. God's word is a gift to us. Um, he, he opened it, he closed it, it is his authority to us. Um, and so knowing that we have this confidence that the book sitting in front of me that I call God's word, the 66 books of our Protestant canon is God's word, ought to develop in me a desire to read it and obey it and recognize its authority over my life because it is not simply man's word, it is God's word himself. And so I can trust it and I can live my life uh, according to it. And so knowing that we can trust these scriptures as God's divine and inspired word should lead us to further trust God and his providential plan in every area of our lives, um, whether that's our personal life or our professional life as teachers, um, and so this may this may this may be newfound confidence in God's word um, is is crucial for our everyday lives and also our time in the classroom, whether as a student or as a teacher. Um, and I think one thing I just want to finish with is Jesus, when he quoted uh, Deuteronomy eight uh, three, as he was being tempted by Satan, he said, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." And so my encouragement would simply be to have faith in God's word to truly satisfy your soul more than even food or drink could. And when you're living from that place in your professional life, in your personal life, being satisfied from God above all things, God will be glorified in you. Yeah.
1: I think that's such a good way to end it. Like we, we can't pour out into these students a love for God's Mm -hmm. word, a passion for God's word and understanding of his word. If it's not what we are loving and passionate about and, and taking in consistently. I was talking with teachers on my campus, um, last week and I said, it needs to be the thing that gets you up in the morning. Mm-hmm. It needs to be the, the thing that puts you to bed at night. And so, you know, one of the, the things I wanted to kind of close with, I, I just appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your understanding, your knowledge, taking the time to research and be here. Um, but I think both of you did such a good job of helping, us understand uh, myself and and you know to be reinvigorated by that, but also the listener to know not only can I trust my Bible, um, but I can have full confidence that it is the very Word of God, mm-hmm. and I don't have to hear these arguments that people throw out around the world and be like, oh no, is 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 one little string going to get pulled and the entirety of the Bible is going to unravel? Is one new document going to be found and all of it is debunked? No they've, that's been tried for thousands of years at this point, and it still holds true. It is the steadfast Mm -hmm. word of our ever loving God. And so I don't have to have any fear of those things. And the last one I wanted to to hit at, um, maybe if you, one of you want to take a jab at it, you could, but it's the question I get a lot. I get it from students, get it from teachers. Which is the best Bible translation? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, we've read from different ones. You, we talked about the ESV. So is there, a best quote-unquote
0: Bible translation? Yeah, I would say that there are Bible translations that are useful for different things. Uh, And what I mean by that is not that some of them are uh, true and some of them are false. I think there are some that are, very loosely interpreted that mm-hmm. should probably be avoided. Yeah. Uh, they may have have a, have a hyper-specific application, but shouldn't be used for like serious yeah, things, They're not so. sticking
1: true to the cano- canonical words. Yes,
0: yes. So like the passion translation, I think in a lot of instances, like the message translation too, like I get the point of those, but I think if you're going to that for trying to get at what was originally trying to be communicated by those authors, I think you need to be extremely cautious with those. But yeah. if you have an NIV, an ESV, an NLT, uh, if, or NASB, uh, I think you can with reasonable a- and assurance say this is what God was trying to communicate mm-hmm. to me. Like yeah. it's translated from Hebrew or Greek into a whole different language, but I can trust in faith that one God is preserving his word and making sure that what is needs to be properly communicated is communicated to the saints. That that above all like that that's probably the only thing that I mentioned as yeah. why we should trust it. Yeah. And trust that men who love God are inspired by God and equipped by God not to write scripture but Mm -hmm. to interpret scripture and communicate it to other people have written those translations
1: of the Bible and have taken it seriously. One of my uh, professors used to always say, whenever he's asked that question, uh, you know, what's the best translation? He said, you know, with, with a bit of nuance, it's the one that you have and that you read. Right. (laughs) So what's the most important thing is that it's a good, you know, it is a a good translation, which most of our English translations are, unless they get into that, you know, area where they're just paraphrasing or things of that nature. But most of our translations are, and, you got to read it though. The yeah. good one is the one that you're reading mm-hmm. and that you're you're working to understand and know um, know well. Mm-hmm. But this has been Nights at the Roundtable, uh, part two of our, our series on the canon. Um, it's been just an amazing opportunity to hang out with you guys and, and mm-hmm. talk through this. And so listeners, we hope that this has been beneficial to you. Um, and we look forward to coming back next month with another new episode talking about interpreting scripture. So we hope that you'll join us next month. Until then, bye guys.